0: Location undisclosed access ready team buck headquarters the safe haven where a radio signal transmits from the middle of nowhere to the squad of patriots. This is the Freedom Hunt with Buck Sexton. Well, it's been quite a week, my friends. I think we can all agree on that. Oh my gosh, all the things that happened this week. Huge Supreme Court decisions. The Kennedy retirement, man, it's been uh, been a, a interesting time to start a new show. As you know, I've launched, uh, and apologies if my voice breaks it all during this podcast, but I've, I've developed a schedule of about 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. now with a nap time in the middle of the day. Yes, I have brought a pillow into my office and I do pass out on the office floor on occasion, but you know what? Freedom's not going to spread itself, team. So I've launched this show, hill.tv rising. Well, that's where you go to see it. It's called Rising. And it, look, it's, a, it's great fun. I mean, it reminds me of the early days when I got into this media business years ago with The Blaze, and it was a startup digital network then. And I've kind of been to this dance before. I, I know how it goes. And so sure enough, I just am trying to bring some new skills to it now and a little more wisdom about the whole media situation. But it's a lot of work, friends. And it, all the support from you, uh, from radio and also here on this podcast, uh, means a lot. And I'm definitely trying to get acclimated to the swamp. With that in mind, I just had said a couple of observations. Before we get into some of the more fun stuff on our Freedom Hunt podcast this week, just wanted to note a couple of things. One is that It's astonishing to me that we, uh, the conservatives, are in charge of the House, the Senate, the White House, most state houses across the country, lots and lots of governorships, state assemblies, and yet the state, dare I say the deep state, but the federal bureaucracy is weaponized against us and only against us. And I just had this thought over the course of the week, and you know, I was talking to a bunch of different folks, and I'm building all kinds of you know, connections to people on the Hill and in the White House, because I, I want to use my time in D.C. to get as much firsthand information and, and bring you as much information as I can. And it's amazing that the government apparatus, despite the people in charge now being conservatives, uh, is still only weaponized against conservatives, and it really doesn't happen the other way. I know people would challenge me on that and all kinds of stuff, but it really doesn't happen the other way, and that's just remarkable to me that the weaponization of the government apparatus only goes against conservatives, uh, and it's just the same way that they've taken over media and academia and you know Hollywood. It seems that there are at least pockets of virulent leftism in the federal government. This is what we're referring to as the deep state. It's very, very real. One other thought I had this week that I want to share with you before we get into some other stuff here. Uh, And that is, there is such a strange feeling in Washington, D.C., in the swamp, from anybody who's a conservative right now. Because, again, we're in charge, so to speak our guys in the White House. But we're the ones that are being hounded on the street. We're the ones that are being kicked out of restaurants. And there is such a, an opposition effort. I mean, the press right now in D.C., and I've been speaking to people about this that give me really chilling details. The press is one giant Trump opposition force. They've really taken it on as their role to oppose this administration, that's what they do, and to bring it down person by person. I've heard of people who can't walk their dogs in the district without being followed by reporters, without feeling like they're being uh, photographed, without. and they're not paranoid because it is happening. Uh, There was a protest, got very little attention from Stephen Miller, senior White House advisor, where they showed up at his apartment building. You know this is getting out of control, folks. There's a there is a tension right now. I can feel it in D.C. from talking to people, but you really just feel it on the street too. Something's wrong. You know, it's uh, we. When I say I'm deep behind enemy lines in the swamp, I really mean it. That's really how it feels. So it's why it's great to be able to connect with all of you and get a chance to chat with you. So I I, I promised this week on the uh, Freedom Hut podcast we would get into what I call the uh, the top ten martial arts movies of all time and I think I'm not even I I didn't even really have a full list in mind when I said top 10 I really wanted to do the top five so I'm going to give you five the five best martial arts movies of all time in my opinion uh, for me and then you know I'll give you some others that I think are kind of in the discussion too but are not uh, not quite as meaningful to me. These are not really the best movies of all time in the martial arts genre. I'll just say that right now. I'm not well-versed. And this is what I did a little research for this this week. Um, I, I am not well-versed in the uh, Kung Fu foreign films, for example, which there are so many of them. And a lot of people would say that the best martial arts movies of all time are Chinese language films that you know are dubbed. Over. I I don't I haven't seen those. I don't know those. So these are Buck's favorite martial arts movies, uh, mostly ones that I've seen as a kid, uh, that I've seen way too many times in a lot of cases, uh, and just a couple of provisos here. Um, th- Under Siege, I would put in this category, but I really think of Under Siege as an action movie, and then there's also. The Matrix, which you can argue has a lot of martial arts and kung fu and was very innovative in its action sequences at the time, but I also think of The Matrix as more of an action movie, though you can make a case that it is a uh, martial arts movie. And so my, my all-time favorite martial arts movies, probably better to put it that way than, than best, five favorite martial arts movies of all time, uh, would be, and here we go, uh, number five, a movie called Only the Strong. Now, a lot of you are like, Buck, what the heck is Only the Strong?
1: Why should they start trusting us? This world can be about as big as you ever wanted to be. Showing you some choices.
0: Changing their lives.
1: Stupid cause is all I know. I'd like to think you're better than that. One way I know you getting in that car. I'm not your slave. Changing each, each other. Strong.
0: These were the 12 worst kids at Lincoln, the absolute bottom of the heap. Look at what he's done with them. I'm changing their world.
1: You did something none of us professionals been able to do. You got their attention.
0: Only the strong. Yeah, it's a movie about a guy who does the whole teaching the inner city kids how to Show respect and teaching them how to be, uh, you know, nice to each other while also learning to kick butt. It's the only movie I know of that really features uh, Capoeira, which is a Brazilian martial arts form that was developed with the importation of African slaves to Brazil uh, to work on primarily sugar plantations. But uh, the the vast numbers of Africans brought in in slavery to, to Brazil Um, they weren't allowed to train in any martial arts. There was always a concern of slave insurrections. And so with capoeira, uh, and spelled C-A-P-O-E-I-R-A, with capoeira, you had a dance that was mixed in with some fighting forms, and that way they could actually uh, teach each other and train. At least this is the lore behind it. It was outlawed for a time, in Brazil, I think in the 19th century it was outlawed because capoeiristas became known as uh, gangsters, uh, you know, as essentially hoodlums, and they would carry a straight razor in their uh, between their big toe and their other toe. So some of the kick techniques and things that look very dance like in form, if you're holding a straight razor there, all of a sudden it becomes a much more effective, uh, much more effective offensive maneuver. But Only the Strong is a, is a preposterously bad movie uh, that mixes in uh, Capoeira with kind of the, the movie, uh, what's that movie with that, the song with Coolio, Gangster's Paradise? I think it, maybe it's called Gangster's Paradise. No, I forget what it's called. But anyway, the, there's you know the, the whole like, oh, I'm going to go teach the inner city kids and everything's going to work out. And, but this guy is a martial arts instructor who just happens to be really good at capoeira. Mark D- 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 Gascos, I think, was the lead actor's name. I've seen the movie so many times. I'm going to tell you something right now, because this is what happens when you hang out with me in the Freedom Hut podcast. You get the real inside scoop. I bought the... Sa- <laughs> I bought the soundtrack to this movie on CD. That's how much I liked Only the Strong. And I used to, like, when no one was around, be like, no way banana way banana banana way you'll see what i mean i don't know if the movie's available on netflix i don't know if anybody can find it really anywhere you can certainly see clips from it on youtube um it's a bad movie but it's i love it i saw it so many times i actually took a capoeira class uh once when i was in the seventh grade because of this movie and, uh, over time I did teach myself how to walk on my hands and I, cause it's very acrobatic, the martial arts form. I was talking about, uh, capoeira in Brazil and how it was outlawed, but the martial arts form of, of capoeira involves a lot of, uh, uh flips and handstands and back handsprings and a lot of, it's incredibly athletic. Although there are, uh, two different styles of capoeira. See, I read about it a lot when I was a kid cause I thought it was so interesting there's uh, Angola, like Angola, Africa, and then there's uh, what they call Hejonal, which looks like it's spelled regional. Um, and Hejonal is much more of the aerial acrobatics. Angola is much more uh, on the gr- on the ground. Uh, and if you see the two different forms, you'll see what I mean. Is it an effective martial art for defending yourself? Uh, I would not recommend trying to do a handstand kick. Generally, but I know some of you say, "Buck, I've pulled off handstand kicks." Okay, but for us, for us uh, normal folks out there who are worried about pulling a hammy, I don't think that that's the best one. So, anyway, number five on my list, only the strong. Uh, number four on my list of my favorite martial arts movies of all time is American Ninja. Soldier. Who is he? Who is capable of defeating the secret Black Star Army?
1: A soldier who has become a master ninja. Your destiny, my son, awaits
0: you. The deadliest art of the Orient is now in the hands of an American. American Ninja. Starts from- now. American Ninja is one of these movies that. It was it, it, there were all these ninja movies back in the 80s, and I saw so many of them, and they're terrible. I mean, they're just garbage movies, but I love this movie. For some reason, this guy's in the army, and he got like adopted by a ninja master for a while who trained him to be a ninja. And then the army, I guess, there's I think they're supposed to be stationed maybe in the uh, I don't know, like the Philippines or Okinawa. I don't even remember now, they're somewhere in Asia. And the only guy who can defeat this massive army of other ninjas is the American ninja. I mean, guys, it, it, it is so bad. But the cool thing about it is it's one of these movies where you get introduced to all the different ninja weapons. So you, you see him. He's, he, they're using like uh, obviously the ninja sword. And then they've got all the they got nunchucks going on. They've got these uh, tiger claw hand things. Throwing stars, obviously the Psy which to me, the Psy, which also was carried by Raphael from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Psy is like, it looks like you're using it for uh, you know, shrimp kebabs or something. It just doesn't look like an effective weapon at all. It never really made sense to me. Uh, but you, you, know, you see some of those. The, uh, what is it called? The with, with the, Gosh, I can't even remember what some of these things are called. I, I used to know all the ninja weapons by heart. So anyway, if you if you like ninja weapons and really bad dialogue and terrible acting, American Ninja is a film that I would I would recommend to you. Uh, absolutely. Um, then you have a uh, kickboxer for me. I'll put that in at number three, which is just a movie with Van Damme. I was big into Van Damme as a kid. I thought Van Damme was awesome. As I'm older now, I, I find Van Damme more humorous than awesome. But uh, Kickboxer is a great film. He obviously goes to Thailand. There's a whole thing with the brother. He's got to get vengeance and he trains. And there's some really cool scenes in it. And it's just a martial arts movie, it doesn't try to be anything else. You see some kickboxing stuff. You know, uh, there's a cool scene towards the end where you, he takes, uh, he wraps his hands in wax, uh, or wraps his hands in essentially cloth and then hot wax and then glass. You no, know, I mean, there, there's some cool stuff that, that happens in Kickboxer, although it's very similar to the number two movie on my list, which is Bloodsport.
1: It says he represents the Tanaka clan. You don't look like Tanaka. Shidoshi Tanaka train me. What's the whole up? He says Senzo Tanaka is his Shidoshi. What's the difference if Bruce Springsteen is a Shidoshi? If Senzo Tanaka is his Shidoshi, then show us the Dim Mak. What the hell is a Dim mark? Death touch.
0: And Bloodsport is just the, one of the movies I've seen more than any other movie. My siblings, my, my two brothers and I, can quote Bloodsport to each other a, a, as though we had to learn the lines ourselves and be actors in it. I mean, we can pick any... any you know, Forrest Whitaker... Plays a role in Bloodsport, by the way. A little bit of fun lore. And uh, the big scary guy, I guess uh, uh, Booger, I think is his name, from Revenge of the Nerds. He plays Jackson, who's just a big beer brawler with like a gut that apparently is in this big fighting tournament and uh, does pretty well, actually. And you have Bolo uh, from... Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Chong Lee is a character. Uh, Bolo Young plays him. And uh, Bloodsport is, is just a fantastic... Again, I think it was made for very, very little money. I mean, when you go back and you look at Bloodsport, uh, you find out that the, the budget was you couldn't buy you couldn't buy like fancy lighting equipment today to to do a movie for what you did uh, Bloodsport for back in the day. But it's great. Um, the fight scenes it, it brings in all these different martial arts styles too, which is kind of cool. There's a kickboxer, and then you get into this whole part of how much is it? How much of that movie is true? Right, because it's based on Frank the life of Frank Dukes and there are people who say that Dukes is kind of a it was kind of a fraud he's a real guy you can see videos of him on YouTube they say Dukes exaggerated things they say that you know I I have seen video of the Kumite which is the fighting tournament that they go to that that at least purports to be from the actual Kumite and I gotta tell you it's not nearly as badass as it looks in the movie Think of it kind of like a Taekwondo tournament without gloves on. I mean, it's not as not as look, of course, the movies always make things look more badass than they are. Right. You know, if you believe the movies, every cop is basically getting into a gunfight with a bunch of gangbangers, with ak 47s every five minutes. So uh, but but Bloodsport is probably for me, the movie, the martial arts movie that had the most impact uh, of all time. You know, I, I saw it more than any other movie. It used to run on TV, and I'd watch it with my brothers all the time, and it's just amazing. And it it is based, however, in terms of the storyline and the plot, on what I have to say is the the single greatest, I mean, the granddaddy, the single greatest martial arts movie of all time is Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. I I don't think that's even really up for much of a debate. I think it is. He created the genre with that movie. I've seen that movie many, many times as well. It holds up still to this day. There's a lot of really, really good stuff in it, uh, but Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. If you haven't seen it, folks, I still say you've got to go and check it out. In fact, not only did Enter the Dragon create the whole martial arts genre, which I grew up wanting to like learn Taekwondo and Karate and Capoeira and you know all these things because I saw these movies, right? Uh, but not only did it create the genre, there were so many ripoffs of the basic plot from the movie Enter the Dragon. And if you go back and you think about it, Bloodsport with Van Dam, with Jean-Claude Van Damme, is really a remake of Enter the Dragon in many ways. A guy travels, goes to a secret fighting tournament, and there's sort of some subplots behind the scenes, and it, th- there's a lot of crossover. I will say that Enter the Dragon has a richer and fuller plot than Bloodsport. One of the funny things in Bloodsport is that Van Damme, first of all, this guy, he works, he's in the American military, but he has this weird like, yes, I have a French accent. I am so good at uh, karate and I was trained by a Japanese man who uh, showed me how to do all the high kick. Uh, He's got this little Belgian French accent, which is never explained really. He's in the American military, got a weird French accent and was trained by a Japanese guy. And if you if you haven't seen the beginning of the movie, he tries to break into. This is how he meets his Shidoshi, um, whom we heard about there. Right. Tanaka. uh, Tanaka clan. He tries to steal a samurai sword and. The, the guy ends up kind of adopting him. And just the acting, though, of young Frank Dukes, he's like, you're not going to call the cops in the early... It's just incredible. You got to watch the movie to see what I'm talking about. Uh, but anyway, there's some stuff that doesn't hold up. End of the Dragon holds up much better. Uh, but then there's all these other ripoffs. Uh, so Bloodsport's a ripoff of End of the Dragon. I think, I think Bloodsport's the best Jean-Claude Van Damme movie of all time. Uh, but then you add on top of that... Uh, that he made a movie that was called The Quest, which was just kind of a redo of Bloodsport, uh, but made many years later, where he goes to a tournament. It's, I think, based in the 1940s. He travels to a tournament. There's all these different styles of fighters, and he, you know, and he wins in the end, of course. It's like the same movie, but it was a pretty successful formula for him. The moment that Van Damme actually tried to act, I think bad things would, uh, bad things would happen. Bad things would come his way. So that's those are my five favorite martial arts movies of all time. I know I said the 10 best, but I realized that's a crazy list to try to come up with. I I wouldn't even begin to be able to uh, to tell you what the 10 best martial arts movies of all time were. Oh, honorable mention goes to best of the best, which I saw, which actually has Julia Roberts, brother, Eric Roberts in it. Um, but see, I just know these random things also has. Sean Penn's brother, whose name I can't even remember, who's kind of just like this pudgy guy who is somehow good at Taekwondo, and it's ne- never really made clear how that is, but it's a big Taekwondo tournament between America and South Korea, and yeah, uh, Best of the Best is pretty good just because, I don't know, it gets you fired up about America, it's kind of like Rocky Four but with Taekwondo. And then you realize, you're like, is South Korea really that scary? Like, I thought they were our friends. It's a little different, you know. With, with Rocky, at least, it was Soviet Union, evil empire. But Best of the Best definitely gets an honorable mention from me. Ong Bak, the uh, kickboxing movie, also gets an honorable mention from me. There are a whole bunch of Steven Seagal movies that you could argue are really martial arts movies, but I put them in the action genre. Hard to Kill, Marked for Death. I saw those movies so many times over the years. But martial arts movies had a really big impact on my youth. I got to tell you, I watched so many. I used to go to the video store with my brothers, and we watched martial arts movies all the time. And it's a genre that kind of fell away. You know, it's, it doesn't really exist anymore. Now you just have movies where kind of people randomly just know martial arts, and no one ever has to explain why. I even see it on cop shows. You know, Miss Molly likes to watch, uh, what is it, one of these CSI things, and there's this detective like Olivia Benson, and... You know, she'll just catch a, catch a punch from some thug and put him in a wrist lock and sweep the leg and the whole thing. And it's like, I don't think they teach that in the academy, really. I'll just be honest with you, uh, having seen what they do teach in the NYPD. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's that's that. One other thing I wanted to note this week is that there's... So it's so giving you a different topic. Really interesting piece in National Review about this. You often hear about how the Inquisition was this really terrible thing, right? The Spanish Inquisition was this horrible you, people being mutilated, and, and, and it's become this you know, this phrase, oh, I'm, I'm, is this like the Spanish Inquisition? And people get all you know, angry about it, and they'll talk about it, and they'll say it's one of the great crimes of all history. And it's all nonsense. It was actually, if you look at the history, there's been some real revisionist history done on the Spanish Inquisition, and I love this, meaning I don't love the Inquisition, I love it when people go back and find out that the histories that we've been told that have been filtered down to us through really pop culture. I think of Monty Python movies and the Spanish Inquisition and you know the, the way that it's depicted and Torquemada to this day is uh, thought of as one of the, the great, you know, the, the, the great evil menacing inqu- you know inquisitors and and anything that involves a really nasty Uh, degree of interrogation people say what is this the Spanish Inquisition by the the standards of the time the Inquisition actually was and and, uh, again this piece in National Review got me thinking about this because I've known this for a while the Inquisition was was pretty um, progressive you could say Uh, as crazy as that sounds first of all very few people really a handful of people a year ended up being uh, executed by I'm not saying it was good okay I'm just saying it's not the worst thing ever because people think of it as it's, you know, they'll say, oh, the Inquisition. And then they'll think of, oh, you know, the Holocaust. No, 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 no. Inquisition is bad, but it is not in the same universe of bad as the Holocaust or or the it's not in the same universe as bad as the, you know, Soviet dekulakization policy. It's not in the same universe of bad as the Mao's Great Leap Forward. I mean, it's not in the same historical category as any of those things in terms of its uh, terribleness, you could say. And people just don't know this. They don't, they don't they never get told that the Inquisition actually provided people who were too poor with counsel. Some of these ideas that later on remember the Inquisition starts right around the time of the expulsion of uh, of the Moors um, and Jews from Spain. So 1492 think back the movie El Cid and the Inquisition gets gets going at that point in time and the church uh, allowed the state to play a very large role in it too so there was it was a state and church situation right the catholic church and the spanish state and some of the really nasty stories that you hear about the inquisition were get ready for this protestant propaganda from some of the northern european countries including england that wanted to make it sound like the evil swarthy spaniards were engaged in these horrific abuses and you know hot pokers in the uh anus and uh, you know, things like that, right? Not, there were some torture techniques used, but it was really more along the lines of enhanced interrogation, dare I say, during the Inquisition. The rack was used, which, sounds, which, which is bad, but also uh, waterboarding was used and, uh, and some stress positions, but they were not mutilating and murdering people systematically as part of the Inquisition. That's just not true. And I always think it's fascinating when you see these instances of Stories from history that people just don't have the right story, and there's really very little interest in correcting the wrong story. You know, there's really very little interest in people finding out that, uh, or people being told that that they're really what's been created as a historical prejudice in their mind is is inaccurate. I mean, another example of this, and maybe I should talk about this on a different podcast. You know, writing writing history, we could call it. Ooh, that's actually good. Like. R-I-H- R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, writing, writing history. Guys, I think we just came up with a new segment on the fly here for the, uh, the Freedom Hut podcast. So as part of our first writing history, the Inquisition bad, but not nearly as bad as everyone said it was. Uh, and for the time, it was downright, you know, forward-leaning forward, forward leaning and, and humane. Um, but it, it for reasons of European, intra-European propaganda, then also I think anti-Catholic, and anti-church bias, it has been held up as this horrific and terrible thing. Uh, And I just think, essentially, you go back and look at it, and it's not nearly as bad. I mean, the numbers of people that were killed in the Inquisition is very small, actually. Over And it, it lasted for a very, very long time. I mean, folks, the Inquisition started in 1478. It wasn't officially disbanded until 1834, okay? We're talking about hundreds of years. And over that period of time, it killed... A few, you know, they executed. Look, it was that's unjust. It's wrong. I'm not saying it was okay, Right. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying it's not this great historical atrocity. A few thousand people over that time were executed by the uh, by the Inquisition over that entire period. Uh, And this was about it was about rooting out heresy. It was about trying to uh, have ideological unity on the. Uh, iberian peninsula which if you know the history what was going on then with the muslim invasion and and then there were uh there were the moriscos that stayed behind and there's just a lot of look people were fighting wars over ideas back then over over religion and ideology all the time and that was the way that it uh it all came to be so it's just it's just amazing to see how you know, I think if you ask most people, how bad was the Inquisition? First of all, you ask them the dates, they'd have no idea. And then if you said how many people were killed, they'd be you know, hundreds of thousands. Because that's the way that it's, it's become this historical boogeyman. And the answer is a few thousand. Over 100,000 were prosecuted by it, but that's over the course of centuries. And uh, yeah, uh, so the Inquisition, writing history. And I'm, f- I'm f- happy about the fact that we just started a new segment here on air on the Freedom Hunt podcast. All right, you know what time it is. It's commie bear time.
1: Prepare for a special Kremlin announcement from Comrade Commie Bear. Greetings, imperialist hyenas. Is the Marxist mammal your favorite furry socialist? The one, the only, the commie bear. No doubt, my fellow home slice. you now understand the only collusion was between Seabear and J-Law. This was on beach in Saint-Tropez. Oh, snap! But no, for real, this Mueller probe is about as serious as Hillary Clinton running for president in 2020. <laughs> no, no, for real, she's so crazy, my oligarch friend can't even buy her off with $5,000 payment. For a terrible screech. Argh! What happened? I mean speech. But there is good news, Amerikanski Swine. New report that the single greatest commissar of all Trump history will return to the swamp. Hope Hicks has always been seabar favorite. And now she may be back in the one place where everybody knows the best party is the communist party <laughs> with a little eye patch and a mini vodka bottle who can possibly resist okay that's it for this week dos vidanya filthy capitalist dogs see you soon all right that is it for this week hope you enjoyed your little sesh with commie
0: bear we'll be back next week with another freedom hut podcast give me your thoughts facebook.com slash buck best place to go Please do share the podcast, Uh, tell some friends, subscribe, please, please. It's on Stitcher, it's on uh, Apple Podcasts, and share it on your Facebook page, team. Have a great weekend. Back next week, Shields High. Oh, and of course, it's all in the reflexes.